Have you ever felt like giving up, quitting, throwing in the towel? Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. She's an author, health coach, and motivational speaker. Backed into a corner multiple times in her life, Carol shares with you stories on how she overcame some of the toughest obstacles a person can go through in life, but refused to give up hope. Rather than admit defeat, an opportunity was presented, and it involves each and every one of you. Carol will feature spectacular guests who will share their messages of hope, encouragement, and their inspiration to prove why life's adversities only make you stronger. And now, welcoming the host of the show, here's Carol Graham. JJ for that introduction and I also want to thank all my listeners from around the world again. We are now in close to 60 different countries which of course tells us that there are people all over this globe who are looking for the message of hope, who are looking for ways to change, encourage one another and that's what this show offers. Never ever give up hope. I interview people with incredible stories of things that had happened in their life and how they overcame traumatic circumstances and became successful in whatever they were trying to do. So I thank each of my listeners. Of course, I thank my guests. They've been awesome. I often listen to their uh, interviews more than once because they do touch our hearts and they have so much to share and so many encouraging words. So I thank you. Today with me is Darcy Leach. And again, this is going to be a young woman who we will not soon forget and the story that she is going to share with us today. The first child born to a woman with myotonic muscular dystrophy, Darcy Leach, was raised to expect her brother to die before she did. And I know that we're going to want to talk to Darcy today about how that made her feel and what she went through even that emotion as a as a young girl she matured very quickly as a child living amid the medical crises that she did and she went on to graduate summa cum laude from bethany college as a nationally award-winning student athlete her book is entitled from my mother And it tells the family story of the strongest woman Darcy will ever know, her mom, Jo Lynn, who died from weakening muscles. And as a result has come this story and a cause that Darcy is going to share with us later in the broadcast. So welcome, Darcy. Thank you, Carol. I sincerely appreciate the time you're giving me today. Absolutely. So let's start with your childhood. At what age were you aware that your mom was sick? Oh, that's a tricky question because when I was three, my brother was born and my brother was born and immediately needed open heart surgery. Uh, He was actually life flighted from where my mom was about three hours away in a helicopter while she was still um, under sedative. Um, and there were a lot of birth complications with my brother and I don't think they knew right away what it was. Um, but Dustin was on a ventilator, a feeding tube, had the open heart surgery and somehow miraculously 
he did make it out of the hospital and uh, pretty early on the doctors diagnosed him as having myotonic muscular dystrophy and being a three-year-old uh, I didn't get to meet my brother until he was about three months old and my dad was driving us from Arkansas to Texas where he was in one of the best military hospitals mm. and as a three-year-old my father was talking to me about things like why people might die young or <laughs> genetics or birth complications. So that so was probably a, you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I probably knew my brother had a genetic disease when I was three, mm -hmm. but that full awareness probably took a lot longer than age three. And what about your mom? At what point did you realize that there was something seriously wrong with her? Yeah. Um, once the doctors diagnosed my brother with having myotonic muscular dystrophy, they knew that disease was genetic. And my dad was a healthy guy in the military. And my mom was pretty healthy, too. Uh, but myotonia is part of the inability to release the grip or the muscles to fully non-contract. And the same doctor that diagnosed my brother... <clears throat> He shook my mom's hand and she couldn't release her grip from that without pushing her fingers back with her other hand. Mm. And at that point, that doctor knew enough because he'd actually dealt with the rare disease, myotonic muscular dystrophy, that he knew she was the one that passed on the genetic disease. And that was probably still when I was around three or four. So I always grew up knowing that my mom mm -hmm. and brother had the same disease. Um, but it, it took a while for me to realize what that meant especially for mom. What was the prognosis at this time? Like, did they know enough about it to know that it, you know, that they were not going to survive long or was there hope that they would, or what was, you know, what was happening at that point? My brother was born in 1989 and myotonic muscular dystrophy has what they call genetic anticipation. So each generation that it moves forward in the disease has worse symptoms or more apparent symptoms. And for my brother to survive out of the hospital with as many protein repeats as he had, or being at least third generation that we could detect the disease in, was pretty much a medical miracle at that point. So the prognosis for Dustin, they never thought he'd get out of the hospital. Then they thought he'd live three months, and then they thought he'd live three years. Then they guessed eight. Uh, and he lived 13, so he surpassed expectations pretty often. Uh, myotonic muscular dystrophy is still to this day an incurable disease, and there aren't really treatments to mitigate the symptoms very easily either. There's a lot of good medical research going into it, but my mom's adult onset, uh, if you look in the textbooks for myotonic muscular dystrophy, women with adult onset probably have a life expectancy about 50 to 55. And when my brother was born, she was 28. Um, so they didn't talk much about her life expectancy then. They hmm. focused on Dustin and c tried to give my mom the best care she could. Um, while my dad was in the military, he was Air Force for 20 years. They kept us right next to the best military hospitals they could. Uh, and we had really good medical care. And while my brother was alive, they would even pay for sleep studies for us to come to the hospital and check out Dustin. Um, but my mom was probably a little less rare in a way. Mm -hmm. And after my dad retired from the military, we moved to rural Kansas. And I don't think my mom ever had a doctor again that had experience with myotonic dystrophy. My goodness. Now, when you were very young, of course, you wouldn't understand, you know, what was what was really transpiring here. But as you grew, was there a fear that came that you were going to possibly lose your brother or your mother or both? Hmm. I think we lived 
pretty much every day of our life when I was a kid thinking we better enjoy this day because we don't know how long we'll have Dustin. So I would definitely say my biggest fear as a child was a death in the family. Um, and I don't know that I ever really escaped that. I, an oxygen monitor would go off in the night. And as a child, I would wonder what that meant. And then sometimes it was hard to keep it rational. My parents mm-hmm. are pretty good at keeping me calm. But um, yeah, I lived so many days wondering if it would be my brother's last. And he went into the hospital so many times. Um I guess eventually I got to the point where I worried about it a little less and tried to treasure the day a little more. And that's really the influence of my parents is that they knew they had something special with my brother and that something special might not last forever, but they wanted to make the best of each day. So while there was that fear, I think eventually that fear came more to an appreciation of what we have. That's a mouthful. <laughs> That's incredible to have that kind of an attitude and to have that instilled in you from your parents, especially considering what they were going through. That's that's just amazing, and I applaud your parents and, and you. Go ahead. Yeah, and thinking about my mother's strength with that, not only knowing she had a son with a disease considered terminal, uh, but that she had the same gene and that it was slowly weakening her muscles. And yet she was able to raise me with the, the confidence and the faith to be able to survive and thrive even after, I guess, the inevitable happened. Is it a slow progress, the disease, or is it rapid? Well, with my brother, the congenital version, uh, if the if the disease symptoms are present at birth, it's pretty rapid and heavy, uh, but actually the kids will get stronger at first, and then puberty is really when it starts getting hard for them. And my mom, my mom competed in beauty pageants when she was 18. She went off to to college after that, and um, she could hold normal jobs for a long time. And truthfully, she wasn't diagnosed until she had a son with visible symptoms. Uh And for a while, you couldn't have picked her out from the crowd and said, this woman has a disability. And you know what? For a while, she really didn't even show any symptoms of disability. She was perfectly capable, but it was. It was slow and progressive. And from Dustin's birth on, but really age 30 on, she – and there were pretty normal symptoms. Like she couldn't open a jar of pickles or her legs would get more tired or it was a little harder to walk. Or she used to be able to go on bike rides with me, but now she'd get really winded or it might seem like she had asthma. So at times it kind of just looked like maybe – general fatigue Mm -hmm. or aging kind of quickly. But really from age 45 on, it started affecting her more and more, but it would never affect her enough in a day that you could say that's the myotonic muscular dystrophy. Mm. It it was just a slow, gradual loss of ability. And sometimes if you weren't looking for it, it was really hard to see. Now you were with your dad throughout this whole, like you you moved from place to place to be, by the base that your dad was out of or yeah um my dad went overseas once in his 20-year career because they with a with his son the military was really nice and kept him near so yeah we moved around a lot as a family um the only time they lived away from me was when i was in college and they moved to larned kansas which is the last place my mom lived so what else would you like to share with our audience about maybe coping skills during this time in your life, like you did say that your parents helped you with, you know, maintaining a good attitude, but I'm sure you had your moments, especially as you were entering your teen years. Uh, What did did you personally do to maintain that attitude and to 
where did you gain your strength? From my mother's really a story that's kind of my maturation, but it's it's a faith story. And my parents, especially my mom, my mom relied on her source of strength and she prayed with me and she'd talk to me about things and we really invested and loved Dustin and honestly kind of thought of him as a short-term angel on earth. Um, and that perspective really helped. But growing up, I would pray every time I was at a wishing well and I would pray oh. the same thing. I would say, God, let Dustin walk. And I would pray with, you know, the passion of a child, a mm-hmm. naive child mm-hmm. who really thinks everything's going to be answered and good. And I'd feel this burning in my heart and I'd throw my coin in the well. And I believe that my prayers were making my brother better in a way because I saw so much progress. He hmm. defied medical expectations for a long time. And my brother passed away when I was 16. And the morning he passes away, I wake up to go to school and he, he's laying down, breathing kind of slowly. He had a cold, so he was going to stay home from school. Actually made my morning routine easier. I didn't have to help get my brother ready. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember standing at the door before I would leave and waiting to see his chest rise up and take breath. And I saw that breath. And then I opened the door handle and I walked out. And a couple hours later, while I was taking a science test, in the middle of a test with a very strict teacher, I, w- I was called to the office. And I knew at that point that those fears that I'd had in the past, that mm. was the day. And I saw my parents in the office and I saw my mom's eyes and they didn't even have to tell me what happened. I knew my brother was dead at that point. And as much faith as I had as a child, as fervently as I prayed and as much as I believed that God was working in our family and that Dustin was being taken care of, that shook me. My prayers weren't answered. My brother never walked. Um, There was no miraculous cure during his lifetime. I hope some of my readers who might be in families affected by the same disease live to see a cure. But my brother didn't. And when I was 16, I remember one night I was in my room and I had prayed and I didn't feel like I had a good answer. And I took one of Dustin's toys. He had this bead set. And I took it in my hand and I threw it up against a concrete wall and it busted. And I asked God, why would you give me something so beautiful? Why would you give me a brother that showed me such a different walk of life and then leave me to go to high school where people are talking about getting stoned or drunk over the weekend? And I really struggled for meaning at that point. Um, As much as my parents raised me to expect Dustin to have medical trouble and for there to be that possibility that he'd die. I was nowhere near prepared to live without him. Um, in a family where you have a, a, someone with special needs, we would brush his teeth. I, I would help bathe him. I would help get him dressed in the morning. When my dad would go to work, my mom was losing muscle strength. So I'd pull my brother out of bed and get him in the wheelchair in the morning. And so much of my time and so much of my parents' time was put into Dustin and and taking care of him. And we loved that. We appreciated it, but we didn't know what to do with ourselves when we had that free time. My parents both seemed a little lost. Um, My answer was to try to be as successful as I could in high school and athletics. I threw myself into routine because I was so used to the routine of brushing his teeth, getting him ready for the morning. Our life was so structured, but I went from this phase as a child of very 
trusting faith to the shell shock of not having those early prayers answered and that anger. I felt a lot of anger. Um, and it, it took a lot to get back to that. But I went to a, a good private school college with a faith-based environment and that helped me process things. And truthfully, what saved me was that I wrote. Um, I'd carry around a journal in high school and I'd write during history lectures. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But that was my pathway to try to process it, because if I let if I let the thoughts be quick or primal, they were angry. But if I let the thoughts be written down and thought through and purposefully positive, they weren't angry. They were reflective. And my maturity really came from reading and writing. And I think that's why this book is such a natural outcome from what happened because I could have lost my faith and I could have ended up mm-hmm. negative and bitter. And mm-hmm. I could have thought, well, it's just going to take my mom too. And I, you know, there would always be that temptation to null the pain with drugs or alcohol. But my parents gave me a belief in myself and a belief in a benevolent creator and a reason to keep going. And my mom was my biggest fan. She wanted me to feel good about what I was involved in. She wanted me to feel successful and, my parents talked about talked about heaven and what's beyond us and the reasons to live a life well and i was able to carry on but it really was it was good supportive family a christian environment in college and reading and writing that helped me get to where i am there were many questions that you answered while you were talking that i <laughs> that i was going to ask you and and one was did you ever feel that it wasn't fair and rebel, and you basically answered that, but how did you cope with that not fair scenario? Yeah, um, life isn't fair. (laughs) More reasonable then? Were you understanding that because of what you had gone through? Or were you Um, angry and rebel against that? You know, I think there's still a part of me sometimes that if the moment's right, I have to fight that anger that says I deserve better or I should be able to earn better or my choices should matter more. But you know what? Sometimes there's things we can't control. And sometimes the strongest force in our life isn't meant to be willpower. Uh, I have a six-month-old baby girl. And her name, her name is Hannah Grace. And grace is, has an obvious meaning. And mm-hmm. Hannah means full of grace. And we actually named my daughter with two names that mean grace because that is – the most important thing we have. It's not willpower or strength or self-determination. It's faith and in that grace that can enter our lives and ease our hearts and the grace that lets my mother and brother join each other watering the gardens in heaven. And that's what you focus on. It's what I try to focus on. Okay. Okay. <laughs> when I let my thoughts be slow and reflective, that's what I mm-hmm. focus on. I I love to do Bible studies and church and prayer time. And I think picking the positive things and wrapping myself in the right words, that's a really important part to help my focus stay there. You know, one of the things that you're touching on without really saying it, and that is that so many things that happen in our life, we really have a choice in what direction that we're going to focus. And you, you make that choice, but that doesn't mean that it isn't that it's easy you know you still have your struggles you still have your moments and you're being honest enough to admit that 
but in the end you choose the positive you know that that's where you're going to focus Mm -hmm. and and what you gained from the experience and how you can help others because of what you went through I'm sure that that's the type of person that you are yeah, I know there's a lot I can't control. I can't control outcomes. I can't control genetics or what we're born with or what we're not. But I can control my attitude and my effort. And if I focus on what I can control, I know I'm not in control of a lot, but I have a lot better effect with the effort I can put in. And I know I questioned a lot in my life. Like, God, why was I born healthy? Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. truthfully... Uh, not trying to brag here, but while I was in high school in the weight room, I could power clean 200 pounds. And that's still <laughs> a record at my high school 12 years later. Really? Uh, yeah. And I, w- I would talk, I would question myself, like, why am I able to set records in the weight room when my brother couldn't even walk? Why do I have strong muscles when my brother had muscles that wouldn't support his heart? And you know, that was a really hard question for a while. Now, logically, I figured it out. The reason mm-hmm. I could power clean so well is because I carried my brother so many times. I was building <laughs> those muscles. That one makes sense. But I've questioned many times, like, God, why am I born able to write? Why was I born with intelligence when my my brother and I had a 50-50 chance of getting those same genetics? Why am I capable? And, you know, I've come around to think that I was born to be the storyteller. That the lessons from my brother and my mom are many and they're worthwhile. And honestly, my mother's faith story in the last months in the hospital, that can save souls. Um, Tell us about that. My mom went into the hospital after celebrating a 90th birthday that she had planned for a great grandmother. And she put a lot of energy and effort into it. And it was in a 14 hour car ride, hour car drive away. Uh, Maybe she exhausted herself a little bit, but. Her muscles eventually weren't strong enough to support her breath, and she went into the hospital, and they they tried to fight some pneumonia that was in her lungs to see if her lungs would be strong enough to recover. Uh, But truthfully, when you're 51 and you have a progressive muscle-weakening disease, that recovery wasn't very likely. And they couldn't give her steroids because of the age of her body, and honestly, it would affect her heart, and the heart's a muscle in the body. Uh, there's, There's no cure. And truthfully, at that point, unless her muscles just started all of a sudden getting stronger after she kicked the virus. Um, It was long-term care and we couldn't get her home for hospice because she was hooked to a ventilator. So she was in a hospital an hour either way to the next family member. And we knew we were losing her and we just didn't know how to do it. And my parents in the past had talked about they didn't want life support that they wanted life to live its natural course they didn't want to be hooked to machines because my brother was hooked to a lot of machines throughout his life and sometimes that was a struggle but my mom when the ventilator went in she couldn't talk for herself anymore um and she was on a lot of sedative medication so it was it was harder probably to think or remember things my grandma would come in and sing her hymns and my mom one day when we were together and it was early morning so the the medicine didn't have her as out of it she she told me with her hands she motioned like a butterfly you know how you make a shadow mm-hmm, on the mm-hmm, wall that's what mm-hmm. she did and uh she mouthed fly away and i said mom do you want me to leave and she's like no i'll fly away and i i thought she was mentioning the hymn because her mom had sang mm-hmm. it just that last night and that hymn talks about on the day where 
I'll fly away to God's celestial shores. And that's how she told me that she was ready, that she didn't want to be hooked to a machine in a hospital with very little chance, like infinitesimal chance of ever getting out. And then a couple of days later, I think it was two days later, um, she did all fly away in front of her sister and mom. And they thought again that she was trying to tell somebody to leave or give her some space, but they knew it was the hymn and that she was saying, I'm ready to go home because after that she would mouth go home. And my mom, where she could be angry, upset, she could be fighting us in fits, instead was telling us that she was ready to go in peace to her creator. We got to the point where we could tell the doctors and she could tell the doctors she would say yes or go home or lip it. I mean, she couldn't really talk, but um, we had it scheduled to remove the ventilator and let her body do what it could on its own to see if her muscles would have enough strength to breathe. And the answer was probably going to be no. And two nights before that was going to happen, I was in there in the morning again when she was most alert. And she smiled and told me she had good dreams. And I asked her what she dreamed about. And she mouthed my brother's name, Dustin. I said, you dream of Dustin. That's great. And then she moved her hand like she was running. And then she moved it like she was jumping. And I said, you dream of Dustin running and jumping? And she said, yeah. And and then she tried to tell me something else. Like she kept moving her hand kind of like she was shaking salt or pepper. And she was doing that in rows. And I asked her, mom, is he making something up there? Is he cooking for you? And <laughs> she said no and got kind of frustrated. But then I handed her some paper and she really hadn't been able to write, but she was having a more clear mind than she had because of the medicine, we were trying to lessen it. So maybe mm-hmm. she could talk to us once the ventilator was removed. Um, and she wrote down, Dustin waters the garden. And it was really scribbly handwriting. I had to guess mm-hmm. on the word too. But I said to her, mom, you dream of Dustin watering the garden. And she said, yes. And then she pointed up. And before my mom had her ventilator removed, she knew she wanted to fly off to God's celestial shores. And then she was graced with a dream of her once terminally ill son who could only move around in a wheelchair or crawling on the floor, Mm -hmm. running, jumping and watering the gardens in heaven. And how long did she live after Dustin? Let's see. He passed away in 2001. About 10 years. That's amazing. I was thinking it was, you know, just a very short period of time. So wonderful that you had that much time to spend with her. Yeah. And, you know, the unfortunate thing and part of why I think this book's so important is if I would have read this book earlier or something like it, I took a lot of that time with my mom for granted because she looked so normal and there were so many things Mm. she could still do. I kind of forgot that the disease that was terminal in Dustin is present until the end of life in adults too. And with her, it was the reason she couldn't support enough oxygen on her own. It's the reason her body expired. And I wanted my mom to toughen up. I wanted my mm. mom to be more like me. I wanted my mom to be more like other moms at times. And I, I was probably a little hard on her when compassion and love were more the answer. Uh, I didn't want her to quit her job at Walmart because I wanted her to help me out with college, but it was really hard to work with leg pain and mm-hmm. all that. And always talk about it, and it was kind of easy for me to ignore. And she probably knew exactly what was going on with you, I mean. Yeah, yeah. I wonder how much my mom knew. She was a smart lady, but you didn't catch her complaining very often. Mm. How did it change your life? Myotonic dystrophy or writing the book? Well, the whole the whole scenario. I mean, you have a child now. You're going to be you're going to be bringing her up probably differently than you brought than you were brought up. 
maybe as a result of what you went through? Mm-hmm. Like, was the, what do you think that these experiences changed your life or the way you may have lived it without them? You know, I've been asked that question before, like, how'd you handle it when you were young? And it, it was the only way I knew. Mm-hmm. Uh, we grew up and survived because it's the way things were. But chapter one of From My Mother, it starts with me reading to my son, who's now four and a half, and him asking for more books and me reading to him at night, like the way my mother read to me. And then it, it's juxtaposed to a scene flashback of my mom reading to me at night. And I ask her for more books, but it's easier for me as an adult to do it because I don't have an oxygen monitor going off in the next room. I haven't mm-hmm. been doing mm-hmm. chores all day with a son with special needs plus working on top of that. I mean, my life is so much easier than my mom's and my son's opportunities. I'm going to have to make sure I don't spoil the kid, but <laughs> it's, it's just amazing how much how much more he can be given. But the main thing I want to give him is, I don't know if I can do it, but the level of love and dedication my mother gave me was just astronomical. And that is the strongest part of that woman is that whatever was difficult about it, whatever pain there might have been, she put every ounce and effort of love she could into me and gave me the best opportunity she could. And that's really what I want to do for my children no matter what I'm capable of, no matter what opportunities they have, what matters most is love and the connection I can build in them, knowing they have me as a safety net, knowing me, they have me that will love them unconditionally. Because that's really what my mom did for me. Were you? Do you feel that your dad was your strength or that you were his? <laughs> uh, there were probably times of both, but I will tell you, my father and I, have an incredibly close relationship and since my mother passed away he's actually lived with us and he takes care of my children Eli and Hannah while my husband and I work and I try to take care of him if he misplaces his keys or his glasses <laughs> uh, but my father is part of my nuclear family and we make that work because whatever him and I have lost with an incurable illness in the family, we have a new opportunity and a new nuclear family with Hannah and Eli, mm-hmm, and he mm-hmm. is as much a part of that as I am. And it's it's beautiful how much love he gives my children. That is beautiful. So you mentioned your book a few times. Tell us about your book. Why I I understand what this is your story. It's it's the memoir of of your relationship with your mother entitled From My Mother. But basically what I want to know is what inspired you to write it? Is it strictly a story? Is there inspiration for other people in the book? Like, you know, give us a, a synopsis. Yeah. From my mother is about thriving and surviving in a family ravaged by genetic disease, but it doesn't take a genetic disease to relate to that. I wrote it because I was grieving the loss of my mother. I wrote it because I was trying to carry on the legacy of love my mom gave me to my children. And when you look at a story that's a maturation of faith, that is dealing with end-of-life care, or very modern questions, there's lots of things that could apply to people who wonder if they'll ever have to care for their parents or parents who have a child who's not atypical. And there's a lot of life questions that we don't know anything what they're like unless we could experience it. And there's a lot of things that if we experience, then we want to know we're not alone. We want to know there's others like us. 
and this story offers so much to so many, but it's, mm. it is a story of belonging. It's a story about overcoming. It's a story of resilience. It's a story of family love and any reader can find something in it. But if a reader's ever felt loss or if a reader's ever mm. wondered about purpose in life or what to do, what to do when there's obstacles in front of us from my mother is the true story of the strongest woman I will ever know. And what she did in face of weakening muscles is to persevere and to love and to answer difficulty with just those two things, perseverance and love. And anybody that faces obstacles can take the message of my mother's strength and be better for it. And you said that this has just been published now. This is new on the market. March 29th, so oh, okay. I think by the two-week point, <laughs> hot off the presses, and sales I, have been pretty good so far. That's great. Are you considering a, any type of sequel to this? I'm ambitious as a writer. I have a couple plans, uh, but I'll tell you the truth. I want my writing career to help families like mine. So myotonic muscular dystrophy is one small audience. It's a rare disease, mm-hmm. but... I want to write more in that 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 audience would be interested in. So I have a children's book that I want to do. Um, I think I might call it Daddy Dustin's Different and just have it of a character like me as a child and a parent explaining to another sibling that there's a child with special needs in the family now and what that's like. Because as a kid, I kind of felt alone because other, mm-hmm. other kids in the grade school didn't know what it was like. Mm-hmm. But that my parents and those real conversations they had with me at a young age that really mattered. So I think a children's book might be one, but here's my big plan. What I want to work on next is a science fiction trilogy called the hope series. And book one's going to have a sibling pair in it. Like my brother and I, one of them with a terminal incurable disease, but at the end of the book, um, well, the character's not going to die. And (laughs) book two will be what it's like living a life that should have ended sooner with a terminal disease, but a cure was found. And then book three, and this one's the most fun and wide open because book three will be what the world's like after we can cure genetic disease. Because some of the research that they've been doing at Duke University for muscular dystrophy uh, in different places across the world actually is they inject a virus into a mouse and the virus specifically attacks the DNA to the point where it breaks apart the DNA and attacks that protein repeat defect. And then the DNA reforms without as much of, or maybe any of that defect. So they're, they're creating viruses that attack DNA, reshape it, and then make the person different or better. Well, in that case, a mouse, but it leaves a lot of interesting questions of what the world might look like if we do find a cure that can do that type of thing. How exciting. You, you sound like this is you're almost passionate about it. Yes, <laughs> I really think that with from my mother, I, I was born to write this book, but in writing it and connecting with families that are involved in the Muscular Dystrophy Association or the Myotonic Dystrophy Foundation, I really think I found my calling. Um, and one of the strongest signals of that was not too long ago, the program director of the Myotonic Dystrophy Foundation, Paul Formaker personally invited me to come to their conference in September in Washington, D.C. to share my story of the book. And that's going to give me a chance to meet in person women like my mother or children like my brother. And I don't meet too many of them in Kansas. In fact, I've never met in person another woman like my mother. Um, 
How rare is the disease? Well, it's one in every 8,500 roundabout, but in my family, it's affected at least four people. So you'd have to go another 30,000 people to find it. And then you'd have to have somebody willing to talk about it. They don't wear name mm-hmm. tags necessarily, right. <laughs> um, but it is a rare disease. And what are the foundations doing and how, what's your involvement? Yeah. One thing I'll mention quick before I get back to the MDA is the Sibling Leadership Network is an online community and advocacy group for typical siblings of individuals with special needs. Mm -hmm. And I've been working on their communications committee to talk about how to get the word out. Um, And I think that's really important because you can feel pretty alone being typical, but not having a typical family. And I want to make their conference too. But the Muscular Dystrophy Association, they were actually involved in our family life when Dustin was younger on the April 23rd in Wichita, I'll be able to go to a muscle walk with the MDA and I have a team and we're raising funds for care and a cure for muscular dystrophies. And that's going to be another amazing opportunity to meet people in person that I feel a deep and instant connection Mm. because they're like my my family. You know, I never donated to try to find a cure while my brother was alive because I thought things like he's so beautiful, he's so different. Why Mm. would they want to get rid of this type of opportunity? Isn't that an interesting way to look at it? Wow. Yeah. But Especially the, as the, a teenager. Yeah, it's it's a weird philosophy. I'm still <laughs> not sure exactly where I fall, but when the disease took my mother and there was no cure, mm-hmm. I knew that I wanted that to change. That I hope one day somebody born with myotonic muscular dystrophy won't have it until the end of their life. That we can find a cure. That there's hope uh, for people with what could be a terminal disease to find a different outcome passionately towards that. Is it basically genetically or is there something um, that causes it? Yeah, it passes on chromosome 19. So it's genetic. Um, I don't think there's any environmental factors. I think it's Mm -hmm. completely genetic, although how it manifests in people is very different. Um, There's a lot of different ways myotonic dystrophy can be present. And most of that depends on how many generations it's been in. So that doesn't necessarily, it might not be lethal, in other words. Yeah, a woman like my mother um, won't necessarily die from it, but it will. the genetics will still be present when, when death comes. Well, is there anything else that you can think of that you would like to share, Darcy? You know, From My Mother is a mission-driven project for me, and I really think that I'm going after the purpose in my life when I pursue this, and I pray every night that From My Mother finds the audience that needs it. And I don't know exactly what that audience looks like all the time because readers give feedback for this book. They leave a a feedback on Goodreads and they Mm -hmm. find something in the book that I didn't necessarily know was there or a message that is broad and applicable and something different than my number one main goal. Uh, This work is important and it's honest and parts of it are raw, but it's raw because it had to be written. It was a story that called itself to paper, and there's an audience out there that's really going to benefit from it. So I hope, if anybody's on the borderline right now for From My Mother, it's it's a great read. It's not pleasure light reading. Mm-hmm. Make you cry, but it's a meaningful read that'll have deep impact, and I think it's worth the time. That's a great way to sum it up. A meaningful read, deep impact, From My Mother by Darcy Leach. Thank you, Darcy. You've definitely triggered some emotions in me, and I can relate 
in certain ways. And I can't wait to read your book. You could find it in the We Love Memoirs Facebook group. And there's also a giveaway you could enter on Goodreads for the book. All right. We'll be sure and put that in your show notes. Thank you again, Darcy. It has been stimulating and encouraging and heartwarming. And you appear as a beautiful woman with an incredible legacy to pass on to your children. And for that, I'm sure you are very, very thankful. My mother did well. Yes, yes, exactly. And your father from the sounds of it. Yeah, he's the hero of the story. That's right. That's right. All right. Thank you again, Darcy, so very much. Thank you, Carol. Thank you for listening to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. Did you know that most people succeed because they are determined to? Quitting was never an option. Carol loves your comments and will respond to each one. So please subscribe and review this podcast. A rating of five stars would be outstanding and appreciated. Remember, if you are still here, there is always hope.